There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, welcome, welcome in to World Soccer Talk Radio. It's a fresh week, it's a fresh start, and I am high on Klopp and Brazilians and Slovakians and all that good stuff. Liverpool 4, Manchester City 1, that's what's on my mind, but we're also talking all about El Clasico today. Francis Maxwell, a very funny gentleman from the Young Turks, is going to be with us breaking down that Barcelona thrashing of Real Madrid in Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu. Cannot wait to break that one down. My footballing mind... Yours truly, Nate Abarea. That's my name. Tweet me at NateWSD. Get us all at World Soccer Talk. Subscribe to us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. And leave us a review on iTunes when you get a moment. Thank you oh so much. My footballing mind was in four places this weekend. It started, obviously, in Manchester at the Etihad. And I don't know how else to describe my feelings about that match other than ecstasy but at the same time as a liverpool supporter and as someone who has had some trials and tribulations in the romantic world over the last few years of my young life i I can't help but but have this feeling flying around my head right now as as, as everyone including myself is just so high on jurgen klopp every time i see an interview with a liverpool player i hear a pundit talk about jurgen klopp i just go well you know what's going to happen in a year from now, a year and a half from now, two years from now, this great relationship, like any relationship, is going to come to an end. How about that? How's that for spoiling everyone's happy mood right now? That eventually this is going to die out and it's probably going to be very unceremonious and a couple of people are going to be heartbroken and it's all going to be over. That is why we savor every moment in life, folks. That is why we savor and cherish Every single moment. Two Brazilians and a Slovakian led by a German owned by Americans. They hammered an Arab Emirates owned club led by a Chilean. This is England. Liverpool four, Manchester City one. Clasico was outstanding. Suarez, Neymar and Iniesta starred for Barcelona. But Madrid had their chances and we'll talk all about that with Francis Maxwell. It was a 4-0 thrashing but how many times was Ronaldo denied from point blank range? How many times could Madrid have gotten back into that game? By the way, those final two places where my footballing mind headed, it was back stateside, one in Columbus, one in the Pacific Northwest in Portland. New York Red Bulls against the Columbus crew. New York, you, you, you go on for two weeks, two weeks getting ready for a match, and you let a goal in in nine seconds. How the hell does that happen? Portland and Dallas, good on you Portland fans for all those rainbow flags and refugees welcome banners. I wonder how many of those we're going to see in Texas next week for the return leg. Back with Francis Maxwell after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Where are you from, mate? Just around. 
Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea. Tweet me at NateWST with all the love mail and the hate mail that you are far, far too good at sending. Get all of us at World Soccer Talk. And again, subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes. Our guest in this edition of the show, he, you might know his work from the Young Turks. He's very good at what he does. He's actually pretty damn funny as well. His name's Francis Maxwell. Francis, thank you for coming on the show, sir. Thank you, Nate. It's been a, it's a pleasure to come on. Now, uh, I, I, I opened the show by just alerting everyone that I am still very high on Klopp. I'm, I'm, I'm high on Brazilians. I'm high on thumping strikes from Slovakians for, for fourth goals at the Etihad. But you were more focused on, on El Clasico for your work with, uh, with the Young Turks. So I'm very excited to break down this, this Barcelona, talk about a thrashing of, of Real Madrid on Saturday. But there were chances Real Madrid, and, and we'll get to that here in a moment. I, I just kind of want to throw it to you on a broad level. What did you make of this game, and, and did you enjoy yourself covering this thing? Of course. I mean, El Clasico provides with some of the, the best football on show. Uh, technically, you don't get anything better, but I mean, when I was looking at the headlines after the game, and I'm reading it, it's everyone stating, magnificent Barcelona destroy Real Madrid. And Barcelona were magnificent. But well, I'm I'm fairly critical, if you may know of my work. I, I mean, I don't beat around the bush, when, especially in coaching decisions and managerial moves in the game. And Rafa Benitez's decision to leave out the naturally gifted holding midfielder Casemiro um, was crazy to me. Playing three attacking midfielders in James Rodriguez, Modric, and Tony Cruz just left him wide open for Barcelona to just find all that space in between uh, that midfield line and the back line outside the 18-yard box. And you could see from the first goal, this was clearly a problem. Modric caught too high up the field. And Barcelona, I mean, when you give Suarez and Neymar that much space, it's only going to be one thing. Those two are just so in sync at the moment, so cohesive in their movement. And I thought that Barcelona, despite being fantastic, were just given a little bit too much time and respect by Real Madrid. And that comes down to Benitez, but also down to the players on the field as well. But as always, El Clasico is so enjoyable. I mean, how can you not be enjoyable? You watch the, you, you follow Twitter and you see the memes just constantly exploring out. So many people are created with their memes. I know Ronaldo was on the receiving end of a, uh, a few uh, memes out there. Someone actually posted a missing picture asking if Cristiano Ronaldo had been seen at the start of El Clasico, which is pretty funny. But, uh, I mean, overall, fantastic game as always. Now, now friends, I want to go back to something that you touched on there because it, it was almost as if Rafa Benitez pulled the most un-Rafa tactical mindset yep. where he, he almost put on the boxing gloves and said, we're going to go toe-to-toe with Barcelona and we're going to have a, a, an insane shootout here, here in El Clasico. And that ties back to the fact that, yeah, this was a, a blowout in the end of it. It was, a, it was a clean 4-0 thumping of their arch rivals for Barcelona. But Madrid had ample chances in this game how many times was Ronaldo denied from point blank and I can't help but wonder that if just a couple of those chances are put away by either Ronaldo or Benzema or whoever it is out there for Madrid that we're we're not we're not talking about these horrible tactics from Rafa we're talking about oh how beautiful this match was and how Oh, it was an, an end-to-end flow. Talk about the, the, the sharp edge there and how close Real actually were to not only being in this game, but maybe even getting something from this. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to look at uh, Bravo between the sticks. I mean, what a performance from him. Bravo to Bravo, as many would say. He had uh, a few fantastic <laughs> saves which kept 
Real Madrid at bay in certain parts of the game. Um, and I definitely think there was chances there. The first 10 minutes, I thought Real Madrid started pretty well. But after Barcelona kind of got their teeth into the game, I, again, similar can be said with them. I think it could have easily been five or six by the time that they finally got into the floor. There was a few fantastic goal line clearances from Marcelo in the first half. And then in the second half, some good saves in there by Nava. Um, so it definitely could be said about both of them. I think that it, it was a little bit of an off day for Cristiano Ronaldo. You don't usually see him miss that one-on-one chance when he goes through in behind and Bravo pulls it up a miraculous save. But it's something about the depth of Barcelona as well because there was some injury worries. Rakitic wasn't exactly at full fitness, but you've got someone in there like Sergio Roberto who is just kind of their utility man. He's like their, uh, they, he's like their plumber who they bring in when they just need to get the job done when they don't have their star quality. And I thought he was fantastic. Uh, in that midfield role, kind of pushing higher up. And then you bring on Lionel Messi. When you're 3-0 up already, the world's greatest player, and you look to your bench and you're thinking, all right, we're 3-0 up. We can maybe give out some of the some of the younger lads a run out. Oh, no, we've got Lionel Messi on there, so we'll bring him on to just kind of dig that knife in further. And that's what it kind of showcases, I think, is that Barcelona, even if they do have some injury worries, they're just much stronger, I would say, in depth, and they have better players to come in off the bench. Real Madrid's players aren't exactly back to full fitness, but they still didn't really have that much of an excuse. There was all the talent was on show. I just think tactically Benitez got it wrong. And I think that their heads went down uh, after the first kind of, uh, after the second goal went in when Neymar slipped it between Navas's legs. After that point, it's just an uphill battle trying to fight. There was, as you mentioned at the start there, Nate, you're trying to fight fire with fire. Like they try to go in and fight uh, Ivan Drago the way Rocky did. And uh, luckily Rocky did come out on the uh, winning at the end. But when you're coming in and trying to fight a team packed with Neymar and Suarez and try to beat them at what they do, it's always going to end up uh, being on the solo side of it. And I think that Real Madrid definitely have to reevaluate how they perform against Barcelona until they can have the depth that Barca has. Well, that moment that Barcelona sent Messi on, that, that was one of my favorite <laughs> moments. It, it was so comical. It was so hilarious on so many levels. You're up 3-0 against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. And, and oh, yeah, here, we're going to give little Lionel a <laughs> run out now. I mean, I mean the, the adding insult to injury right there was just sensational. Now, now, I have to talk to you a little bit more about Rafa Benitez. He's a manager that, that I know oh so well from, from his time with Liverpool yep. and, and everything that, that has gone with it, even from his time with Valencia before Liverpool going back a decade plus here. Why was he selected as the Real Madrid manager? Because that's the question I, I keep asking, and, and I'm curious to get as many answers to this question as possible. Jamie Carragher came out with some great lines this week in, in the English media. There have been dozens of great former players, be them Real Madrid players or otherwise, who've come out in the Spanish media over the last few weeks just saying, hey, I don't want to be too critical of Rafa here. I just don't know why a man like him with his tactical pedigree and, and with his overall managerial pedigree, why he was the man chosen to head Real Madrid. It just didn't add up to me, and it still doesn't, Francis. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, but I think that they've had their fair share of kind of star managers, right? Guys that that aren't exactly going to come in there to get the job done and kind of just kind of fly underneath the radar. Because, like, Luis Enrique does a great job at Barcelona. He's never really at the forefront of any discussion, whereas I think Real Madrid might have actually just been a little bit tired of getting the big names in. After when you bring someone like Jose Mourinho into the squad, you're expecting tactical genius every game. But 
But Real Madrid have kind of been a team that's always been mostly about the players, the star quality on show. The managers have just been there kind of to guide that already uh, very successful ship just safely around. And I think that when you bring in Jose Mourinho, who has some turmoil with the players, there's some some sort of uh, revolt going on. I think maybe Perez just kind of thought this time, OK, we'll bring in a homegrown manager, someone who is Spanish, who's managed in La Liga, who has a good, sound tactical uh, knowledge around them that he can maybe just uh, help and in, in bind this team together a little bit more and not take so much of the headline himself. Now, Ancelotti, on the other hand, is a very attacking-minded manager. He knows how to get the best out of his players. I think it was pretty much a ridiculous decision to let him go in the first place. That was my uh, initial thoughts on that. Real Madrid, I think, as a team and a whole, from the fans right through to the board, have a very, very short memory. I mean, you hear the fans booing Cristiano Ronaldo after, what, 50, 60 minutes. This is a guy that's breaking all records. A guy that's led to Champions League finals, won uh, Ballon d'Or's by the dozen for Real Madrid. It's kind of crazy that they would boo him throughout the game. But uh, as I mentioned, this is the same team that, after Gareth Bale scored one of the most memorable goals in an El Clasico, only a few months later, his car was being attacked. You know what I mean? And fans do have sharp uh, have very short memories, but um, I think that Rafa Benitez, in terms of his hire, that's what I think was the main focus point, is get someone in who knows the game in that league. He was a very good manager of Valencia. His record against Barcelona, Nate, actually isn't that bad. Before this game, he had won seven. I think uh, he had drawn one and lost four. Not a bad record against one of the most dangerous teams in the world, but I think that maybe they, they wanted to try and install that kind of defensive-minded capability that he installed in Liverpool, as you know, throughout his miraculous term there, leading him to that Champions League win. But I think that they were kind of having him in there to bind the team together, fly underneath the radar. But unfortunately, with so many strong personalities, I think you need to have a strong personality of a manager in there to kind of, to kind of work with them. What do you think? How long will Rafa Benitez last at the Bernabeu? That is the big question. Let us know on Twitter, at World Soccer Talk, and get at me, at NateWST. How long is the leash? Will he make it through the season? Will he make it through the calendar year of 2015? If you read the Spanish media and you know the hyperbole that they love to go with, you'd say he might be gone by Christmas. We'll get to that. We'll continue it on the other side of this break. It's World Soccer Talk Radio. Francis Maxwell with yours truly, Nate Abarea, right here on the Sports Box. Highline Broadcasting Network. Sit tight. Listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barrea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Pretty good. Pretty damn good, lads! Yeah! Seamlessly transitioning from segment to segment, picking up the topic that we were discussing in the last segment and carrying it right into the next one. Nate Abarea is my name. Francis Maxwell of the Young Turks is with us. That subject I speak of is Rafa Benitez's tenure at Real Madrid. You hear some people saying he's going to be out by Christmas. You have a lot of people saying, oh, that's ridiculous. That's hyperbole. He's going to be at least through the end of the season. Some people say, hey, he should be given a long-term stay at Real Madrid. See what he can build at the club. I don't buy that for a second. Francis Maxwell, I'm throwing it right to you. How much longer will Rafa Benitez last at Real Madrid, considering this climate in which we live in regards to managers? I think that he definitely gets a year, to say the least. I think he gets a year to try and establish himself in there. As we know with the media around El Clasico, everyone looks to try and take that chunk out of 
the losing team. When Barcelona lost last year in the first El Clasico, everyone was saying they were in turmoil. Uh, Iniesta looked a shadow of himself, blah, blah, blah. Look what happened. Barcelona won the Champions League. They won La Liga. It's just a, it comes down to this path and parcel of it being the biggest sporting game in the world. Now, with Rafa Benitez, I think he's got a very hard job on his hands because Real Madrid want immediate success. That's what the fans and, and everyone around them expect. And it doesn't help when after they lose the game, the media suddenly is questioning whether or not Ronaldo will stay, whether or not Gareth Bale will stay. Everyone's jumping on board to see if they can try and find the gaps and the holes amongst Real Madrid as a whole. But I think that Rafa Benitez, he hasn't had a bad start. He's established their team as pretty good defensively minus the last two games. I think they had the most clean sheets they've had at the start of the season in a long time at the start of this year, up until they lost Sevilla and Barcelona. But I think, as always, people will be very hasty with a team like Real Madrid. They will heap on the criticism, but I think at least he lasts until the summer. Francis, will Cristiano Ronaldo, in your opinion, we'll, we'll look into the crystal ball here, will he leave Real Madrid at the end of the season? I think it's. I think it could be very likely, and I know that that is a statement that not a lot of people in the Madrid fan base want to hear or people believe. I don't think he will move to PSG as some may be expecting, but I just don't see the happiness with Cristiano Ronaldo. I know he's always been a very sometimes sour-faced figure on the field if he's not scoring, he kind of throws the toys at the pram. I think he's a very good footballer, world-class, and I think that he... Has, he's done a lot for Real Madrid as a whole. I don't, I don't think he'll be taken too happy to the fans turning on him in one of the biggest games in the world based on uh, his individual performance. But uh, that kind of comes, into, as, I, as I mentioned before, that comes as part of being a Real Madrid footballer. You, the fans love you when you're playing well and they don't like you when you're not playing well. But I think that Cristiano Ronaldo, after this season, will have to think to himself, OK, do I move on, move back to potentially the Premier League with the club that he loves in Man United and try and help them get back to that level of success in which they once were? Or does he go to a team like PSG, who can obviously fund the massive transfer fee that he'll have to go for and his wages? I don't think he'll be moving stateside to the MLS, as some people hope. I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. He's still undoubtedly uh, the second best player in the world for me, even though Suarez has pushed him for that spot. Um, but I think that he has got some years ahead of him. He might tone back his game a little bit, but he can still be a vital asset to many big teams. But Based on the happiness that I've seen him right now and the way that I've analyzed his game, it doesn't look like he's in, uh, in prime condition at Real Madrid. I think that this, by the end of this season, it will be very interesting to see whether he moves on. Francis, you labeled him a, a sour-faced figure. Who else in the, in, in the <laughs> world would you label as a sour-faced figure? Just to, to give a little context here. Uh, I mean, he's, he's by nowhere near the sour faces. as some of them that I'll go to, such as Diego Costa. I mean, that guy, uh, if, if looks could kill, there'd be... A, thousands of dead uh, fellow footballers around him but when he was to stare at them because he is one player that does not like to lose and does not like to get into physical altercations with people. So he's one in the other, I think, can be considered that. Balotelli, when he's playing, doesn't have the, the best looks around him when he's, when he's eyeing up his opponents. But Ronaldo is very different because like, I think Danny Alves came out with a quote and um, stated that it wasn't unfair that Ronaldo was getting the heap of the criticism because he brings this on himself. It's kind of like Jose Mourinho with Chelsea. When you're that kind of an iconic figure and when you're winning, you're the first to smile, the first to bring all the attention to yourself. When you lose, it's only natural that you have to take that uh, on the chin because people will turn to the leaders. They will turn to the influential players and say, OK, why is this happening? Why are we not winning? 
Uh, and that just comes as being, as I mentioned, one of the biggest stars in the world. So, yeah, when Real Madrid aren't winning, and even when they are winning sometimes and he isn't scoring, he, he, he doesn't look to be the happiest football in the world. But I've got a lot of respect for Ronaldo. I think he's a fantastic player. Let's get that trending on Twitter, folks. Hashtag sour-faced figure. We can go hashtag SFF. <laughs> and uh, by the way, great, great book coming out uh, from our good friend Guillaume Balaguet on, on Cristiano Ronaldo, the, the, the biography on Cristiano Ronaldo that Guillaume uh, put together. It's some fantastic stuff. We had him on the show last month. And of course, with, with his 900 million Twitter followers, he was really depending on, on this plug right now for people to go out and, and buy that uh, Ronaldo book. Be sure to check that one out. Hey, uh, let's talk about a couple of players on the Barcelona side. Let's hop back on the, the positivity train here. Let's talk about the team that actually won this match and played some electric football. They were outstanding, and there were two players in particular. We'll start with one that is, oh, near and dear to my heart. Someone say he bites my heart on a daily basis. Luis Suarez, <laughs> what did you make of his performance in this game? A brace against Madrid and more than just the goals. He was all over the place. He, he, was, he was outstanding in so many different ways. Francis, talk about Luis out and out, the best centre forward in the world. Uh, undoubtedly, Luis Suarez for me. Um, he, the closest to him, maybe Lewandowski on his hot streak of form, or Sergio Aguero when he's five. But Luis Suarez has got absolutely everything. His movement, as you know, fine from watching him at Liverpool, is second to none. He drags defenders all over the place, creates space for his teammates, but also has the ability to get into these areas and finish with one time. I mean that. That first-time finish was kind of overlooked because the goal that was scored in this game, Iniesta's in particular, was phenomenal that night. But Luis Suarez's first-time finish with the outside of his right foot, oh, my God, just phenomenal football from him. And I think that he is thriving. I know I've said this very boldly on my channel, and people are kind of like, are you crazy? when I say that uh, he's thriving without Messi in there because I think he will play fantastically well with Messi. Do not get me wrong. Anyone, I could play well with Barcelona with Messi. I think he brings out the best in everyone around him. But... Luis Suarez, when he usually would make these, these dynamic runs in behind and drag defenders away, I would say about 60% of the time that was to create space for his partner, Messi. Messi to drive into the hole and then find his way, wiggle room, and then try and finish or find another player. Whereas this time, Suarez makes those runs, and 90% of the time, he's getting the ball. He's getting it into his feet. He's allowing himself now to, to, to advance back to the stage that he was for Liverpool. He was even better, I would say, than he was with Liverpool in that uh, amazing season Liverpool had, where he would get on the end of most of the moves and create something not only for himself but for his teammates. And in doing so, he's allowing Neymar's game to come on leaps and bounds as well. And that's what I think is a true testament to how good Luis Suarez is. He's bringing out the best in his fellow partner in Neymar. Both of them look like the bromance is, is, is in full swing, I think, that you can, everyone can see they celebrate together. Um, but not only that, is Neymar's game, because he's always had that talent. We know Neymar's got talent running through his veins, but how, I mean, how dangerous does he look now? Every time he gets the ball, it's almost as if he knows where Suarez is going to be, and if not, he knows he can take it himself. His confidence is through the roof. So I think that kind of sums up how good Luis Suarez is. Well, real quick right here, Francis. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the, the three tenors, the three amigos, the three musketeers, whatever the hell we want to call them, that, that trio, that incredible trio of Messi, Neymar, and Suarez. And it's a bold statement that you made, but you're not the only one making it. And that is that I, th I myself think that Suarez and Neymar are actually able to do more with Messi off the pitch. Now, the idea of, of having Messi play third or fourth fiddle for Barcelona is just 
just not going to fly with anybody. But competitively, are, are they better off with Lionel Messi on the bench? I mean, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. I know, and it's crazy to think that way. But, you, I mean, I'm a man that watches football, and I love to break it down to the bare bones of it. And the fact is, before this game against Real Madrid, the 13 La Liga goals that were scored with Messi's departure came from Neymar and Suarez. They, they thrived, there's no doubt about it. They did a little bit of a rocky start, but then once they got full swing, uh, they were able to come into their own. Now, I mean, it's just if you watch the game with Messi involved, right, it's, 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 the game can be made very complicated by certain people, but it's a very simple game. Barcelona find the best way to, to, to get it into the midfield and find it to Messi's feet when he's got space. Now, that takes a lot of cohesive movement. It takes Neymar dragging players wide. It takes Suarez uh, being consistent, recycling his runs, taking defenders out of their own position to create space for Lionel Messi to run into. And last season, it worked like a treat. Suarez didn't grab as many goals uh, as he's going to do this year, undoubtedly, but it still worked well. He had a fantastic season, and so did Neymar. But when you take Messi out of the equation... What happens is there's a lot more direct pass, and I broke this down tactically before the game, and how when you now see balls breaking into Sergio Busquets, no longer will he look for that little tiki-taka move in the middle with Iniesta to find a way to Messi. He'll either dish it off to Iniesta, who'll find Neymar, or he'll play the direct pass himself, find Neymar with about five or six yards more space because he's getting the ball, I would say, about 20, 30 seconds sooner than he would expect it before. Now, with Messi involved, you're also going to outweigh the negatives because he's going to be phenomenal in his own right and he'll create space he could find room in a paper bag but the thing is it's when you're looking solely at Neymar and Suarez's game the statistics back it up they're playing phenomenal right now we'll see when Messi now that he's finding his way back well and, and we'll, well that's exactly what we're going to see is we're going to see what happens when Messi gets back we'll check back in here to this conversation when Lionel Messi gets back to full health for Real Madrid yeah. also a quick tip of the cap to Iniesta who I thought was outstanding in fact I'd say man of the match in El Clasico and showing that he's still got quite a few years left in the tank Nate Abarea and Francis Maxwell back after this on World Soccer Talk Radio stay tuned Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abaurea. Tweet me at NateWST. Follow all of us at World Soccer Talk. Our show today brought to you by Audible. I've got a free book for you. The real challenge with Audible, though, is to pick which book you're going to get. They've got 180,000 titles, bestsellers, fiction, biographies, you name it. So many good soccer books to choose from as well, including the new business book from a man by the name of Sir Alex Ferguson. You may have heard of him. It's entitled Leading, where he shares his insight about the leadership skills he used at Manchester United. Again, another club you may have heard of him. Plus, there's the John Motson autobiography, the Bobby Charlton book entitled My Manchester United Years. There, there's also stuff that doesn't have to do with Manchester United on here. Believe me, there's the secret footballer's guy into the modern game and many, many more. Let me give you the link for your free audiobook plus the Daily Digest of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. All of it is available to you for free for the first 30 days and you cancel during the first 30 days. You pay absolutely nothing and the book is yours to keep. But I think you'll be hooked. I think you'll be on the Audible train. Audible is a great way to listen to your favorite authors on your commute, at the gym, wherever you need them. Here's the deal. This is what you need to write down. You get a free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash worldsoccertalk. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash worldsoccertalk. First month, absolutely free, free audiobook. Sign up today at 
audibletrial.com slash worldsoccertalk. Again, my name is Nate Abarea. Francis Maxwell of the Young Turks is with us. We were talking all things El Clasico there in the last couple of segments, but it's time to take a little look into the life professionally of Mr. Francis Maxwell. Francis, tell us about your show with the Young Turks and how you uh, came to have a relationship with the Young Turks, a very exciting network and one that has grown oh so much over the last few years and really has no ceiling considering what it represents here, here in this modern media climate. Yeah, I mean, the Young Turks has provides a fantastic network um, for us to do our sports show, which has grown. Uh, a, a lot over the last year or so since I've been involved where we focus a lot on soccer talk, football around the world as well as other sports, NBA, NFL, etc. But as the Young Turks as a whole, I mean, the Young Turks was based off a politics show that stands for just truth-telling news. Um, when you come over to a platform on YouTube and uh, on digital media, you really have the possibility to reach thousands upon thousands of millions of people through telling the truth and, and really getting to um, what people want to talk about. And it, it really transcends over to football, uh, the, uh, my football that I talk about, because, I mean, this sport is kind of based around the fans. The reason why football is the biggest sport in the world is because the fans love to talk about it. They're so passionate. Football fans are easily the most passionate, I think, in the world. So when I came onto this platform, um, I used to be I used to play professionally in Scotland, and I knew what it meant to fans, just uh, even at the low levels I played at, coming into the United States, I just wanted to try and do my best to install that passion. And then you hear podcasts like your guys' podcast and other podcasts which share the same passion. And that's why this game will continue to grow in the United States and grow, of course, throughout the world is because the more passionate you are, the more you get into the, the nitty-gritty real uh, conversations about the game and not just kind of touching on things at face value, that's when people really want to get involved in it. So at the Young Turks, we have the ability to do that. We have the platform. We have the audience. Uh, and it's great to connect with uh, guys like you on, uh, on World Soccer Talk who share the same passion for the game. And that's mainly what I, what I come from. I come from a, uh, even though I've played before, I come from a fan's uh, perspective. And I just want to try and talk about the subjects that some people might not want to dig into and some people will. But you really just want to find out what drives this game more than anything else. And that is from the fans. Well, I like your style because it is a mixture of someone with logic, with insight as a former player. You do have that, that fan's passion and you have that, that investigative journalistic passion in terms of really wanting to dig deep into the stories that, that some people don't necessarily want to touch or, or depending on the network, not naming any names here, but they, they don't want to risk touching particular yeah. stories. Nothing is, is, is off limits for you and, and I very much respect that and with the, the Young Turks have offered you and so many other young journalists, be it in the UK, be it back here stateside, New York, West Coast, what they're offering people. I, I just want to tip my cap to, to the Young Turks and, and definitely echo uh, some of the words that you just had there. But going back to your style uh, as, as a presenter and, and as, a, as a journalist, as a pundit, as a former player, who were some of your, your icons in the, the radio and television world growing up that, that gave you a little bit of your chops by, by watching them and, and looking up to them uh, when you were younger? I mean, I, if you remember back to the days, I mean, I watched a lot of uh, football on TV and there was a journalist by the name of Andy Gray. And despite him getting into some, some controversial situations, he was very, very tactically uh, astounding to watch. There's a word to sum it up. He was almost just, I was mesmerized by how much he could break the game down uh, into the final details and really show 
how teams break other teams down. And for me, that was always mesmerizing. But even from the world of football, uh, from, a, from growing up, I kind of take what players uh, said more than anything else. I do appreciate uh, commentators that can really get into the game and break it down. But someone who really influenced me was Roy Keane. Um, and I was a big Manchester United fan growing up. Naturally, a Celtic fan, so I'm born in Glasgow. But uh, watching a team like Manchester United and hearing Roy Keane just be so truthful in every interview he gave. Sometimes he would be a little over it. Sometimes he would definitely uh, skate that thin line uh, between what should be said on television and what shouldn't. But he was someone that really inspired me to really go out there and find out the truth about the sport and to figure out, yeah, like someone might have a fantastic name and might be decorated with the biggest accolades, but that doesn't really mean anything if they're not going to go in and tell the truth about something. Now, I'm one on my platform to really call out, not, not call out players individually or pundits individually, but people that come out and maybe don't give the same sort of tactical analysis or even the same honest opinions as people really should. And the best people to give those opinions, in my opinion, are the fans. So uh, I think fans really have that insight knowledge to it, and that's why I appreciate listening to fans worldwide. My fans and myself talk to me about it, but um, I really think that I was influenced more so by just people that told the truth, people that were honest, such as Roy Keane, and then from a pundit standpoint, uh, the, the tactical genius that was Andy Gray. All right, Francis Maxwell, Andy Gray, and Roy Keane are out on a Friday night. Flowing pints, shots of whiskey are on the house. Who's getting out of line first? Who's going to say that really inappropriate remark and, and get everybody in trouble first? You, Andy Gray, or Roy Keane? <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare waiting to happen for the bar that's going to host us. That sounds <laughs> a little insane for me, but uh, I would say Roy Keane. I mean, my money's always going to be on Roy Keane saying something that, that it probably has to be said, but not at the time or the place. <laughs> Roy Keane has never been a man to kind of hold back his words, and he's doing a great job at Ireland now as assistant coach, so I have to say that my money's on Roy Keane. There you have it. Now, I, I open the show by I, I always encourage people to check out the guests' work, and, and I really encourage everybody to check out uh, your show with the Young Turks and, and follow you on, on Twitter as well. Be sure to give out that handle before we let you go, but you make me laugh quite a bit, and I'm not just saying that. You were a very, very funny lad, Francis, and I'm wondering, where does your, your sense of sarcasm, a little bit of a, of a cynical nature sometimes, and a, and a real quality sense of comedy, where does that come from for you? I mean, when you grow up in Scotland and in the United Kingdom, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and if you're not making fun of people, then you're being made fun of. And it's somewhat <laughs> a cynical uh, approach to have, but it's something that is just it's so common to uh, the, the English, Scottish, Welsh, and Irish humour, it's just, uh, people are just naturally going to make fun of people. And I, I don't like to make fun of people. I mean, sometimes my humour isn't taken as, as, as well as it should in the U.S., but most of the time I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm just joking around and trying to take a light side to it. But it definitely comes from being brought up in an in a environment that is, that is home to sarcasm, in which that is in Scotland. So I think that's where, that's where it comes from. What about musically? Give us a few of your, uh, your, your favourite musical icons. Oh wow! I've, uh, I mean, I've, I've been talked. I talk about music quite a lot here on the Young Turks as well. I'm often on the pop culture show, and I've been probably one of the most broadest uh, perspectives on music. Like I love bands like the Arctic Monkeys and Oasis and Kasabian, and even Dayton Bag. I was a huge fan of the Beatles, Bob Dylan, and then sometimes I'll even throw in a little Justin Bieber. His new album was is pretty phenomenal. I'm a big fan of house music. I like how Diplo and Skrillex combined on Justin Bieber's new album and made it really. Uh, really a good combination of house music and mainstream. So, yeah, there's definitely no kind of uh, market in the music industry that I won't give a listen to. Even if there was new album, fantastic. 
What do you think Roy Keane's reaction would be? You guys are hanging out and you guys get back in the car and you put on the Justin Bieber Skrillex album. How's Roy Keane reacting to that decision? I don't think it would be a needed reaction. I just think I would have to find the first bus home. I don't think I would make much of that trip if I was in the car with him. <laughs> All right, I want to talk to you now about your, your cultural background because it's one that, that's very interesting and it ties so perfectly to what I want this show to represent and that is, is truly an international soccer show. You're, you're from Glasgow. You got, you got the Celtic background. You have an affinity and, and a true affection, a passion for Manchester United. You've got some very interesting American connections. Talk about your, your cultural background and how it led you to this point. I mean, I just you grow up in in Scotland, and it's either you play football or you don't. Like it's very much the, the primary sport in the UK as a whole. And I grew up with a love for the game, and then when I went on to play it briefly professionally, I just kind of my love for the game grew. And although I didn't make it to the level that I wanted to uh, back home in Scotland, I, my passion for the game never really never really burnt out. I always really wanted to talk about it and discuss it. So I think that came from being from growing up in the UK. But then. I was also given the opportunity to come to the United States, play college here, uh, and where I advanced myself as a player, and, and then I signed professionally briefly with a team, the LA Blues, in the United States. So I got that taste of it as well. I got the taste of the U.S. style of football. And what amazed me was just how how passionate fans were in integrated communities. Like, it's not so open, whereas you're walking down a bar in Glasgow and everyone is wearing their team's colors and talking about their team. In the United States, it's much more integrated. There's niche groups that support the game. And I just took that as a challenge to me. I took that as a challenge to be one of the, the, the people in this country, even if I wasn't on a platform or anything like that, just to kind of try and get people to, to watch the game and really appreciate it for what it is. You'll hear that often... Sometimes in the United States, they often remark, so there's not enough goals, or they dive a lot, or they flop. And I'm like, true, but then when you watch a game like the El Clasico and you see such talent on show, it just puts all that stuff to the back of your mind. So I think I've got a great mix culturally of what people appreciate the game for back home and also what people appreciate it for here. And I found that astounding to see the growth of the game here, and it continues to grow. And as long as you have people like yourself, Nate, and like myself, uh, preaching the, the amazing aspects of this game, it will continue to grow. And I've grown quite fond of the MLS as well, I should say. We've got about three minutes left here with you, Francis, and it's time to actually take a trip back over to the European continent. We'll head to London, and then we'll actually also head way east and head to Israel here for a couple of match previews. We're getting into the champions, of course, a couple of big <laughs> ones for the London clubs. We'll start actually with the one on the road in Tel Aviv. Chelsea head to Israel, and how are they feeling about this with everything going on with them and them finally breaking their, their domestic drought <laughs> getting a league win, climbing back up to 15th place. <laughs> Tel Aviv, yeah. Chelsea uh, in, in the Champions League. Talk about this one, what you're looking for real quick. I mean, this is going to be a huge game for Chelsea. They have to really bounce back to, in, in terms of the Champions League football to showcase why they should qualify for this tournament. And I think that they've got a great chance in doing so. A 1-0 victory over Norwich was by no means a, a mesmerizing win, but they look to get back to the way that, that they have been playing. I noticed that against Stoke, even when they lost, uh, a month back, they look better. They're moving the ball better. Hazard seems to be coming back a little bit. His confidence seems to be growing a little bit. But in terms of just the game as a whole, this is one of the most important games for them in the season. The fans will be so, uh, I would say, more, much more confident watching their team go forward if they can put up a great result in Tel Aviv, which is going to be a tough place to go. But I think tactically it fits Chelsea. They'll defend well as long as they stick to their game plan and hit them on the counter-attack. And I can see... Uh, Aiden Hazard really thriving in that environment now. So I, 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 will, I do fancy Chelsea to win this game. 
Maccabi Tel Aviv and Chelsea, definitely one I'm going to be watching tomorrow. Barcelona and Roma at the new Camp, a good one. Bayern Munich hosting Olympiacos. That's going to be a wild atmosphere at those Olympiacos road supporters. You know how they always are. But the one that I'm yep. going to be watching most closely is Arsenal in a must-win situation at the Emirates. We've got a minute left here with you, Francis Maxwell. Arsenal, Dynamo, Zagreb. Will the Gunners get the victory at home? The much-needed, must-win must game. I think they will. I think that it shows once again that Arsenal are so susceptible to banana peels again at the weekend. It's not against West Brom. They'll need to bounce back. <laughs> it's almost a, a miraculous need of win this uh, this game against uh, a tough opponent. And they'll hope that Bayern Munich can do them a favour by defeating Olympiacos. Rather emphatically, they'll want them to do that to help their confidence. I think that they have the talent to do so. They need to win this game because Arsenal crashing out of the Champions League will be catastrophic seeing how well, the players seem to have bonded together this season. So I think it's a must win. I do fancy them winning, and I fancy Bayern Munich beating Olympiacos and will set us up for a fantastic last game in the Champions League for Arsenal. Good teaser there, Francis Maxwell. My goodness, it's all tied together. Hey, let the folks know how they can get a hold of you on Twitter and how they can check out your work with the Young Turks. Absolutely. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Francis underscore Maxwell. I'm tweeting every day about football. I think it's the only thing I talk about there on Twitter, among some other things. And then you can find me over on the Young Turks, which is at TYT Sports. So that's YouTube.com slash TYT Sports. I'm on there talking football. And also on Sports Illustrated's 120 Sports. That's their first sports app. So you can download that there. And I'm on there talking football as always. Follow him on Twitter. He, he's great at talking football. He's very funny. And you can get a little Justin Bieber Skrillex news mixed in there as well. <laughs> Francis Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on, man. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, guys. Again, that was Francis Maxwell of the Young Turks. We're back after this, taking the express train home right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned. of relationships in the world, they come to a close at some point, be it after a few weeks, after a few months, after a few years, they all end. I opened the show by applying that logic to Jurgen Klopp's brief tenure right now, his young tenure at Liverpool, something that I am very high on, something that millions of Liverpool fans around the world are very high on. And I say that not to be a pessimistic, depressing, see you, you know whater. No, I say that to make sure that we all appreciate every single moment with that beautiful German. I love you, Jurgen. Talk to you tomorrow. Nate Abarea, signing off, World Soccer Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.